Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Amen. Amen. We'd like to welcome you all to the house of the Lord. This is a good place to be. Been coming here for, uh, let's see, 25 years now. Amen. 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 I've always found hope. I've always found peace. I've always found direction in the house of the Lord. There is a, um, there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, and we have to be careful when we come to church, because Jesus says, there are these people that honor me with their lips. They act religious, but their hearts are far from me. And so this morning, we want to make sure that, that we're not here being religious, that we're not here out of um, duty or out of uh, uh, ritual or routine. Um, the Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So today, don't waste your time. Um, don't waste your time. Right now, let's pray and let's just draw near to God and say, God, I want you to draw near to me. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you because you love us. We don't deserve it, Lord. We never have. But we're here because you are good. We're here because you love us no matter what condition we're in. Similar, Lord, to how a parent can love a child even when they're going astray. Even when they're sinning, even when they're lost, a parent loves a child. Loves their child. How much more, Lord? How much greater is your love for us? You loved us when we were lost when we didn't love you, when we were sinners, you, you came to us and you found us and you reached us with your love. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. We, we pray that, that we would hear you. We don't want to be the same. Um, we don't want to waste our time, Lord. We want to give you this day and give you our, our hearts and minds and that you would do something in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, this morning, I'd like to talk to you about one of your favorite topics. And you say, how does he know what my favorite topic is? But I'm going to talk to you about one of your favorite topics. Your life. How many of you spend some time every day thinking about your life, right? What drives you? And I, as I talk to you, what I really want to do is I, I'm hoping that I cause you to, to think, to reflect. What drives you? What, what motivates you? Um, in some cases, what gets you up in the morning? Other than... Uh, Double shot espresso macchiato at, at Starbucks, right? But once you get the star, once you get the coffee in your system and you're awake, what keeps you going? 
What are you looking after? What are you... All of us are seeking something. What is it that your heart desires? As you go through your day, you're struggling for something. You're, you're, how to, and, and, and it's a common, when I say you're doing it, I know because I'm doing it. And I know that my friends, I hear their conversation. I know they're doing it. I've, you know, we've all, we have interactions. And, and one of the things we all have in common is we're all, um, we're all in pursuit of something. We were designed, I suspect, I don't know that for sure, but when I look at all of us and I see that we're all wired the same way, we're designed to pursue something. And so we're all, in, we're all seeking after something. We're all, for some of us, we're seeking after peace. Some of us are, live an uneasy life and we're seeking peace. Some of us are seeking success because um, maybe, maybe we were told that, val that our value or that a man's value comes from success. And so some of us are seeking success. Some people are seeking to be loved. And, and so we're taught that, we're in, that our value comes from, from other people from what other people think of who we are. And so some people are drawn to, to seek love and, or, or affection because maybe they didn't have, uh, they didn't receive it. We all need it, and maybe they didn't receive it from their parents. Maybe they had a bad relationship that hurt them, and so they're looking to resolve that, to fill that gap and that void. But we're all seeking after something, and I want you to reflect on what is it that you seek after? What is it that you're, how do you know it's what consumes your mind? When you wake up in the day, what are you thinking about most of the day? What are you feeling most of the day? Because from one day to the next, chances are um, you're usually, your heart is fixed on the same thing. Your mind is usually fixed on the same You have the similar thoughts from one day to the next, similar feelings. You might be up one day, you could be down one day, but um, in general, you have a, a pattern in your life that, that you could probably um, relate with. And so I'm asking you to think about that before we continue. What consumes your mind and your heart? What are you pursuing in life? Let's put up Proverbs 29.18. For some of us, it's easier to answer this question. 29, sorry, 29.18. So there's a translation. Uh, let's, if you could put up King James just for this verse. I'm going to make you work back there because I'm going to be picking and choosing translations. But King James for this verse, um, Proverbs 29:18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you don't have a vision of what you're chasing after, if you're not intentional about it. In other words, you might be, I asked you what you're pursuing But many of you, most of us, don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to pursue this. 
We're not intentional about it. We wake up and something drives us, something pulls us, but we're, not, we're being driven or taken by something. We're not driving towards something. And the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. There's another translation that says, which you don't have to put it up there, but it says where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint, which means when you have vision, it moderates your decisions. When you have a vision of where you're going, it helps you decide what turns to take and it helps you decide what visions to make. Uh, sorry, what decisions to take. Your vision gives you some restraint about what to do and what not to do, who to hang out with and who not to hang out with. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that if you keep company with wise men, you'll be wiser still. If you keep company with fools, you'll be destroyed. And so when you have a vision, if your vision is to be wise, you're going to hang out with, if your vision requires you to be wise, let's say it that, that way. If your vision requires you to be wise, if it requires wisdom, you're going you're gonna to make sure you keep company with wise people. And if your vision or your desire, if what motivates you is to have a good time, if you're motivated by pleasure, guess who you're going to hang out with? The party animals. The guys that know how to have a really good time. And so your vision, what, what drives you, provides restraint in your life. It helps you make decisions to help you get where you're going. Without a vision, there's no map. You know, I, I just took a job in Puerto Rico. I, I'm traveling back and forth quite a bit to Puerto Rico. So for all of you Puerto Ricans, bienvenido. That's my best Puerto Rican accent. All right? And, with, you know, I'm dri I drive through the, through the, the city with my GPS. And without my GPS, I have no idea. I've never bothered looking at a map. We don't do that nowadays. Nobody looks at a map. I mean, when was the last time you looked at a physical map? Nobody does that. 1971. <laughs> right? Who remembers the, the, the company that makes maps? Nobody knows. Apple. <laughs> There used to be a company, it might still exist, called Rand McNally. For those of you guys that are, you know, up there in age... We used to pull out a map and you'd figure out, hey, where's the highway? Where, what exit do I get off? Now you just sit there and you let, uh, you let not Siri, but you let your map, your, your GPS voice tell you, make a right, make a left, oncoming, there's traffic, etc. So without a map, without a vision, we don't have anything, any map to tell us, if you don't know where you're going, you could end up anywhere. If you don't know where you're going, if you're not intentional about what you're doing and where you're going, you could end up anywhere. And so without a vision, people cast off restraint. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. And so the bottom line is lack of vision is not good. God didn't intend you to live without vision. God intended you to live with a purpose.
that drives you, with a purpose that restrains you. We don't like restraint, right? Nobody likes being restrained because they think it, um, it's a limitation on their freedom. But the restraint we're talking about is the restraint to go in another direction different from where you ultimately want to go. It's restraining your decisions to accomplish or to reach your vision. The other part of that verse, if we could put it back up, says, if you, know, if you don't have a vision, where do you start? The second half of the verse says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. God's vision for your life is grounded in his word. God has a vision for your life and that vision is grounded in his word. It means if you don't know the answer, if you don't know what your vision is or if you don't have a vision that you're following and you then the next question is, how do I figure that out? How do I know, how do I obtain one? Well, the Bible says it's grounded in God's word. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 9.24, please. And here we're going to, probably for the rest of the day, morning, we'll stay in New American Standard if you have it. And if you don't have New American Standard, okay, Beautiful. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Verse 25. Everyone who competes in games exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable trophy, but we an imperishable trophy. The next verse. Therefore, run in such a way, not without aim. Don't live this life without aim. And box, not as beating the air. If you've ever shadow boxed before, it's tiring. It, it shouldn't be. It, you don't think about it as tiring. But they actually have aerobics classes. I mean, kickboxing is an aerobics class. It wears you out. It burns a lot of energy. But you're not hitting anybody. You're not winning anything. You are. I mean, if, if you think about you're hitting your you're hitting your body, yeah, you're you're um you're burning calories, but you're taking my point is you can be throwing a punch and not hit anything. Or let me say it differently, you can be exerting effort and not hitting anything, not having any um, result for your your you're you're already putting the effort. It's not like Listen, you're going to go through life one way or another. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. So you're going to go through trouble anyways. 
you're already going to suffer in life regardless. Whoever tells you you're not going to suffer is lying or is, has a lot to learn. One of the two. Let's not call him. I'm going to do like Trump. I'm not going to call him stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to call him ignorant. Okay? The person who tells you that um, you're not going to suffer in life or that there is a way to navigate life and not suffer is lying to you or he's just got a lot to learn. So you're already going to be boxing. You're already in the ring. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're already going to put forth the effort. It says don't, if you're already in there, don't box without aim. Don't, don't just run without, I'm sorry, don't run without aim and don't box as one beating the air. Verse 27. High security laptop, it locks up on you. One second. So it says, verse 27, but I discipline my body and make it a slave. Why? That after having preached to others, this is Paul. Paul is saying, I don't want to be disqualified. I'm already in first place. I've already run the race. You know, last night, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to think this is where I got the message from, but it's not. It may have influenced the message. But, it, but the Lord had put this word on my heart. Um, it was either this Monday or last Monday. I don't remember which Monday it was where, with, a, with a verse that we're going to share later. But last night, it happens to be the case that I watched a movie, or it wasn't last night. It was somewhere in the afternoon, movie Secretariat. And if you've ever seen the movie, which I never thought I'd like, but it's a really good movie, I recommend it, okay? Two thumbs up. If you watch the movie, at the end of the movie, the horses, the Secretariat and the rider are way ahead, and I think the rider's name, the jockey's name is Ronnie. And, and they're like blowing records, and they're like, don't fall, He's got like, you know, they measure horse races in how many horse lengths he's ahead. So normally if you, you know, sometimes you win by a head, sometimes you win by a body length. This horse was like, I don't remember, some of you may know, 31, 38, 31. 31 lengths, 31 horse lengths ahead of all the other ones. And now they're saying, don't fall, Ronnie. The only thing you could do after you just, you got the world record, man. You're way ahead. Don't get disqualified. And some of us have run and run and run and run. Don't get disqualified at the end. Don't lose your prize. Because even Paul, even Paul, after all that he done, said, I beat my body. I discipline my body and I make it a slave so that after all that I've done, I myself would not be disqualified. That's how we have to run. To the end, to the end, to the end. And now we're going to go back, because now you got the context. Now we're going to go back and pick this, these verses apart a bit. A bit. 9.24, please. Everyone runs 
but only one gets the prize. Run to win. If you're already going to run in life, run to win. Don't run halfway. Don't run with a half heart. They say that horses, I didn't know this till I saw the movie, that horses can die of a burst or bursted, I don't know any grammar people can help me, of a bursted heart. He runs so hard because he doesn't want to let anyone beat him. He runs so hard that he could, he, his heart can burst on the track. And then they tell Ronnie, listen, Ronnie, when they're recruiting him, the lady that has the horse needs a jockey because, because the jockey she had wasn't any good. So she goes to Ronnie and, and she says, listen, I'm concerned about hiring you. Because they say that you run the horses too hard. And that some of the horses have, their heart has burst while you're riding on them. He says, why did you call me? Why did you come to me if you know that that's how I ride? He says, and by the way, I didn't kill that horse. That's who they are. The horse, when he sees the, 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 when he sees another horse getting ahead of him, he cannot refrain himself from going all out. Don't, even if he dies, he's going to leave it all on the field. Run in such a way that you may win. God doesn't want you walking. He says run. And he says run To win for your life, run to win. Verse 25 Everyone who competes exercises self control in all things. Run to win, do whatever it takes. It's difficult. You got to exercise self-control. Do whatever it takes. Run to win. Run with purpose. If you don't even, if, if, listen, some of this might resonate in your heart, but you say, I don't know what direction. Don't worry, we'll get to that. But I want you to know that God wants you to run with all your heart. God wants you to run to win, and he wants you to do whatever it takes And the Spirit of God makes this resonate in your heart. Your mind is sitting there arguing, but your heart knows that there's no place for excuses. Your heart knows that. Verse 26. Don't run without aim. Be intentional. In your life, be intentional. I looked up in the thesaurus, intentional, to help me and to help us think a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to, what does it look like to be intentional? It says calculated. You actually give this, and it also says pre-planned. You give it thought. How am I going to do this? What does it mean? What does it mean to run with purpose and with aim? 
You think about it. You're intentional. You're deliberate. It says voluntary. You do it out of your own will and out of your own, from your own heart. Advised. I love that word. Advised. If you know you're supposed to be running, but you don't know in what direction, get some advice. Get well advised from people who know the direction, from people who have a vision, from people who you know, who you know are chasing after the right vision. If you don't know what that means for your life, get advised. That's one of the synonyms in the, for intentional is well advised. I'm not just going to leave this to chance. I'm not just going to go through life one day after the next and just see what happens. I'm going to get advised. I'm going to think about this constantly. When a champion wins the Super Bowl or when a runner wins a race, they train and train and they sleep right. Listen, they don't just run. They make sure that they sleep when they need to. They don't run all day. They don't run every day. You know, when you train, I, it doesn't look like it now. But there was a time where I was training for a marathon. They don't tell you to run 26 miles every day. They tell you not to do that because you'll run your body into the ground. You build up, you rest. You go further, you rest. You go further, you rest. A few weeks before, you're hitting that distance. And then they tell you to taper off. So, that, so it's not just about running all out without any wisdom. You have to, you have to be advised. You have to, be, um, in, you have to prepare and plan. So it's not just about going all out. It's about being intentional. It's about being diligent. If you don't know what that means, get next to someone who does. If you don't know what that means, find somebody who does and tell them, listen, I want to get my life right with God. I want to run after God. Help me figure that out. Prearranged, planned, intended. Uh, when, you, when you think about prearranged, I think of like a wedding, you know, you come into the, 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 not the, yeah, like you come into the ceremony and everything is perfectly prepared. You could tell that they gave thought to every single detail. The women always talk about, you guys got to tell me because I only know it in Spanish, el centro de mesa. Ay, tu viste el centro de mesa, que lindo. And everybody talks about all these little details that they think about and think about for Months for the, the guys, they didn't even see it. They're like, you know, but, but it's so pre-planned. It's so purposeful. There's a theme. I guarantee you that the material that they use on the, on the tablecloth or whatever it's called, they're not, they use something that matches on to cover the chairs and, and, and so on and so forth. And the little bells and it's crazy what you people do. And it's beautiful. Thank God it's not the men planning it. Have you ever seen how a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A bachelor, have you seen a bachelor pad? That's what our houses would look like if, if it was up to the men. Thank God that it's not. So everything is pre-planned. Everything is designed in our life. 
everything should be pre-planned or prepared let's, to accomplish our vision, to finish our race, to do what God has called us to do. Everything should be revolved, we should revolve around that and um, promote that, foster that environment. When somebody does it to win the Super Bowl or the World Cup, we applaud them. How much more to obtain the prize that God has for you? How much more to obtain the upward call? The reason, number one, for which God called you, and number two, for which he died. There's no higher calling We do it for an imperishable crown. And when we see them do it for an imperishable crown, we go to the streets and we take out our, um, yeah, our pots and pans and we bang in the street when they do it for a baseball game. When they leave it all on the line and they dedicate their entire life to winning that championship. What about the championship of life? What about the championship that God has called you to play in? The one that he gave his son paid the ultimate price to get you on the team. Habakkuk 2-2. Write the vision. We're going to leave that one up there, but I'm going to tell you, I paraphrased a couple of different translations because it says it clear. Let's read this first, and then we'll read my paraphrased version, and you'll see that it's pretty close. I just put it in less words. Then the Lord answered and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Now, there's a few different translations. They all say the same thing. But I'm going to say it like this. Write the vision. Make it plain that all who see it may run. God wants you to have a vision. And he wants you to have clarity about that vision. And then he wants you to run after it. The Bible says most of what I'm saying is in, in, in the King James Version. Write the vision. Make it plain. Make it easy. Don't let them. The vision is not something you theorize about and you think about and you just spend all day trying to figure out. Write the vision and make it plain. Easy or simple to understand so that all who read it may run. You need clarity and then you need to run. I'm going to say it again. You need a vision. You need clarity and then lace up your shoes because it's time to run. God want, that's how God wants you to live life. Simple. Make it plain. You get complicated. They ever heard? And by the way, I'm, I've been guilty of this before, but I've overcome it. 
Paralysis by analysis. I could analyze something to death. Okay? But I figured out how to get around that. Okay? Write the vision. Make it plain. Run. That's how God wants you to live life. He wants you to know what you're doing. He wants you to be crystal clear. And then he wants you to go. And you need to ask God, Lord, what does that mean in my life? What is that vision? Lord, give me vision so that I'm not just doing whatever. I wake up in the morning on one side of the bed and, and I, do, I run in one direction. And then I wake up in the morning on the other side of the bed and I run in a different direction. Lord, help me to see your vision. Help me, not, help me not to complicate things. That I don't get spiritual about it. That I don't get religious. When I say spiritual, over-spiritual about it. That I don't get religious about it. The vision is not for you to sound spiritual. The vision is not for you to feel good. The vision is for you to run. The vision is to tell you what to do and what not to do. The vision is where you're going And the vision gives you restraint to tell you where you're not going. So you don't waste your time getting off on the wrong exit. Missing a turn. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Remember we're talking about... What are you pursuing in life? And we're getting into how are you pursuing it? What are you pursuing? And how are you pursuing it? Is it purposeful and intentional? Well advised? Or are you wandering? Are you guessing? And are you not being diligent about it? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The previous chapter was talking about all the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11, they call it the hall of faith, which is a reference to the hall of fame, which is all the heroes of the faith that came before us was Hebrews 11. Now chapter 12, Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we have all this great cloud of witnesses All these guys that have run before us, the giants, the Davids, the, um, the Moses, uh, John the Baptist, as we have all this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight, everything that weighs us down, and the sin which entangles us so that we can run with endurance the race set before us. God has set a race before you. You can, you might have walked in here and you didn't know that. Or if you're a Christian, you might have walked in here and you knew that, but you didn't have clarity on it. We talked about write the vision, make it plain. And we say so many things in church that sometimes is difficult to sift out and, and, and zero in on 
God's will for your life. Because we hear so much and we can't, we can't put it together. So maybe you walked in here and you knew that there was a race that God has for you to run. But maybe you didn't have clarity. And so today God wants to give you clarity. God has put you in a race. And he says, lay aside every weight and the sin that easily that so easily ensnares that we may run. So number one, there's a race before you. Number two, there are things that entangle you and weigh you down. Now let's go back. Number one, run the race. Run the race that's before you. Don't get off the track. Don't get distracted. What is this? What is, notice it says, cast off the sin or the, the, the weight and the sin that entangles us. I'm going to ask you a question. What's weighing you, what's slowing you down? Identify it. What is slowing you down in your race? What is entangling you? It says, cast it off. Take action. You're not supposed to accept it. You're not supposed to live with it. You're not supposed to try to run with it. This is not about trying harder. You're not supposed to run with that. It says, take action, cast it off. Identify it and then get rid of it. You're not supposed to run with it, but you are supposed to take action. Identify what's holding you back. Identify what's causing you to go astray and get rid of it. Cast it off. It's up to you. We have a tendency to look at those things and make excuses. The reason I'm not running faster is because of this situation. The reason I'm not running harder is because of this person. And we make an excuse. God recognizes that it's weighing you down. God knows it's weighing your heart down. He knows it's affecting you. He knows that you can't do it with the burden that you're carrying. But then he says, cast it off. He doesn't say try to run with it. He doesn't say, you know what? You're carrying a lot, just slow down so you don't get, over, so you don't get overwhelmed. He says, cast it off. So identify whatever's weighing you down. Identify what's slowing you down and cast it off. But don't make excuses. Because that will not be acceptable to God. God wants to free you from that. God doesn't, God is in agreement that that's not helping you. But God wants you to free you from that. You need to cast it off. You need to be intentional and deliberate and say, Lord, I don't want this. I need your help, but I'm going to take the steps that I can take to get rid of this situation to get rid of this influence, to, to change the way I think, to change the words I say, to change the people I hang out with. 
so that I can run with endurance the race that's set before me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse 2. This is the prize. And if you don't understand it, I didn't understand it either. But the first thing that's required is that you hear God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the first thing you do, if you don't understand what we're about to read, you need to hear it first. And then you need to go back and say, God, I don't understand what that means. Help me make that. Help me understand. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the prize. And you might say, that's not a prize for me. I remember when I would read these verses and say, how is Jesus the prize? What does that mean? You pray. You ask God, Lord, help, help me to understand that. Jesus is the prize. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus was the one that brought you. If this is your first day here, the Bible says, the first part of that verse, the, Jesus is the author of our faith. This was, Jesus brought you in here. You think you brought yourself in here, but Jesus is the author of your faith. Jesus reached out to you. And Jesus puts his spirit inside of you. So Jesus is the author of your faith, and he's also the perfecter. So he gets you started, and he brings you to the finish line. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross. He did whatever it took. He despised the shame. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He went before us and he taught us how to run. Now, it says he's the perfecter of our faith. We can't do any of this on our own. Jesus has to carry us. Jesus got us started. We could not save ourselves. We couldn't fix the mess we had made. We couldn't make ourselves right before God. And the Bible says, foolish Galatians. Who tricked you into thinking that if you started by faith, you're going to finish by works? So we're not talking about your abilities we're not talking about that your life depends on what you do we're talking about you allowing God to do a work in your life that's going to bring you to the finish line amen you cannot do the work but God will allow you To prevent him from doing it. God gives you free will for you to sit there and say, Lord, I want this. Let's go. Or to say, you know what, Lord? Go to the next house. We're not interested. And so you have to say, God, 
I want this. Help me. Carry me. Drag me. Pull me. Whatever it takes, Lord. Bring me to the finish line by your grace. I can do nothing. Apart from him, the Bible says, so listen, this is not about you. The Bible says, apart from him, I can do nothing. I can't do any of what I'm telling you if I'm not, if I'm apart from him. But it says, I can do all things through Christ. So apart from him, we're dead ducks. But we can do all things, including this, including run our race to the finish line and receive our crown in Jesus. In Christ, we can do all things. Amen. So we, we can't do this, but in him, we can do all things. Matthew 6, 24. So we've said a couple of things today. We've said, God doesn't want you to run without purpose. He says he wants you to have a vision. He wants it to be plain, and he wants you to run. Run to win. Now we're going to talk about what that looks like. What does it look like to be pursuing the kingdom of God? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For he's either going to love one and hate the other, or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So clearly, you can't serve God and money. But the verse starts out by saying you can't serve two masters. You can't run. Have you ever tried running in two directions at the same time? Of course not. It, I mean, it's, it doesn't even make sense. No one would even try it. But think about that for a second. Can you run in two directions at the same time? That's how foolish we look when we're trying to serve two masters. That's how difficult it is to try to effectively serve two masters. You can only run in one direction. No, but you don't have to take it to that extreme. No, but you know, there's other things. Listen, you can only serve one master. Figure out which one that's going to be. But you can't run in two directions. You can sit still and go nowhere, but you cannot run in two directions. Figure out what direction you're going to run and get going. You cannot serve two masters. Pursuit of the kingdom of God is exclusionary. It's one to the exclusion of all others. And you're going to have to wrestle with that. And I understand if you're here for the first time, that's a tall order. That is like... What are you asking from me? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The Bible says, whatever you've understood, do that. To the degree, to the level that you've reached, to your level of understanding in spiritual things, do what you've understood. Don't worry if you don't understand this. The Bible says God will reveal it to you. 
in due time. Or God will also reveal those things to you. So God is going to reveal it to you. But you're going to have to wrestle with this eventually. You can't run in two directions at the same time. So you're going to have to make a decision. Running your race, pursuing the kingdom of God, requires a decision. And it's a decision to the exclusion of all other. You have to make a choice. Matthew 6.31. Don't worry then saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Verse 32. The Gentiles, which generally in the Bible, and specifically here, when it says Gentile, it means those people that don't know God. The people who don't know God eagerly seek, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Jesus said, don't worry. Don't weigh yourself. Don't concern yourself with what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? The people that don't know God seek these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. So watch this. Jesus is the one telling you, don't worry about that. It's not your idea to take this approach. It's not my idea. Jesus says, don't worry about that. You're, you have a father. The Gentiles that don't know they have a father, they're worried, how am I going to pay the light bill? You have a father in heaven. You don't have to worry about your light bill. You just have to find out what your father wants. Your father's going to pay the light bill. Your father's going to pay the mortgage. And we're not talking about mortgages and light bills, by the way. Although it falls in that category as well. We're talking about the things you worry about. God says, don't worry about those things. That's for, if you're my son, you're not supposed to worry about that. If you're my son, if you're my daughter, you should be worried about what's on my heart. Next verse. If don't worry about what you'll eat, drink, or wear, but seek first the kingdom of God. Your pursuit is the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. Your pursuit is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you pursue these things, everything you need will be added. So now let's go back to verse 27. Worrying is not productive. How many of you love to worry? I won't say love to worry. How many of you spend a lot of time worrying? Worry is not productive. You get no benefit from worrying. Who of you, by being worried, solves any problems? When has worrying solved a problem? How can, You can't even add a single hour to your life by worrying. Verse 28. 
Worrying is not productive. God will take care of you. For it says, why are you worried about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. Verse 29. And yet not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Number one. God says, don't worry because it's not productive. Number two, God says, the clothes I have for you are way, way better than the ones that you can sew for yourself. What God has for you that he wants to give you is way beyond what you're trying to toil and spin for yourself. Not even Solomon, who was the richest king On the earth, not even Solomon clothed himself in glory like God clothes the lilies. Verse 30. And if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Don't worry, because it's not productive. God's going to take care of you. And his care for your life is better than what you can do for yourself. Yes. 6.33. Seek the kingdom. Your pursuit is to seek The kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom. Everything else will be taken care of. Amen. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the kingdom and we're talking about pursuing the kingdom. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Why am I going to pursue the kingdom? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the man is going about his life. He doesn't know the treasure's there. It doesn't even say he's looking for the treasure. He's just going about life. But it says that when he finds the treasure, when he finds the kingdom of God, he hides it and out of joy, he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. The kingdom of God has a price. He had to give up everything he had And he did it joyfully. He got the deal of a lifetime. He got the deal of a lifetime. It's like. What would be an example? It would be like somebody coming up with a hundred Cuban pesos. Right? And says, hey, I got a hundred Cuban pesos. And somebody says, all right. I'll trade you a hundred Cuban pesos for a hundred pounds of gold. A hundred and a hundred. 
Do you think the guy's going to think twice? He's going to be jumping for joy. It says he hid the treasure. You know what that is? That's when you find the house that you've been looking for and it's a short sale and you don't want to tell anybody about it. You're like, let me go get pre-qualified. Hey, I heard you're looking for a house. Yeah, but you know, the market's tough. Sign the offer. Here you go. Take my down payment. Don't worry about it. I'll figure out how. I don't know how I'm going to pay you. I'll figure it out. Out of joy for what he found, he signs that contract. He gives over everything he has because the treasure he found was so great. That's the kingdom of God. There's a price. But you pay that price, not willingly, joyfully. You're jumping for joy at the, the deal, at the treasure, at the value that you're obtaining. The kingdom of God is the only thing of value you will ever find. We talked about what you were pursuing. I asked you earlier, what are you pursuing? Put that on the balance with the kingdom of God. Put that on the balance with God's plan for your life. Put that on the balance with the life of God's blessing. The Bible says God commands peace. He says, peace. Go visit 4691 Southwest 158th Street Avenue. Where do we live, honey? Place, court, court. We live in a court. See? I don't even know how to. If I, if I was ordering peace, I wouldn't even know what address to send it to. Okay? But God commands peace to my house. What is the price of that? What is the value that you can place on God commanding peace? God commanding his blessing. I don't deserve it. I, I couldn't pay for it. What is that value? So yes, it costs everything. But so what? It's nothing. What I have is garbage. It's 100 Cuban pesos. It's nothing. It, it's not worth anything compared to what God is giving freely. Amen. So the kingdom of God, when you find it, You sell everything you have. It's exclusionary. It says he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. He does whatever it takes to obtain the treasure that he found. Which is interesting. Because when he finds it, I had never seen this till now. When he finds it, he can't just take it with him. He's got to pay the price. I've never seen that. I've read this verse 25 years and I've never seen that. He finds that which is of absolute value. But he can't take it with him. Now he's got to go pay the price. And so you have found the greatest treasure in the universe. You don't know it. I don't know it to the degree that I need to understand it. But we have found the greatest treasure. And you can buy it. 
it doesn't cost one penny more than what you have. And we're not talking about money. The Bible says, why do you spend money on that which is not food? And why do you, why do you pay for that which is not drink? So we're not talking about money. We're talking about what you're doing with your life. It doesn't cost you one penny more than what you can pay. But it doesn't cost one penny less. You've got to give it all. And you're going to be the richest man in the world. Amen. Amen. You can clap. The riches we're talking about are not money, although they can include money. We're talking about peace, joy, righteousness, a relationship with Almighty God. You can't buy that. There's no price. Verse 45. This is a similar example, but a little different. Here it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. So the other example, the guy was just going through life. He wasn't really looking for anything. He was just doing his own thing. He wasn't looking for treasure, but he found the treasure. This is a different example. This is a guy that's seeking something of value. This is what some people call a seeker. He's looking for something meaningful. He's looking for something of value. And it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. 40, 46. And upon finding the pearl of great value again. In order, he's seeking something of value. And when he finds it, he goes and sells everything he has. To buy the pearl of great price. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Pay the price. Pay the price for the greatest treasure you'll ever have. The greatest treasure you could ever find. Amen. We're going to close with this verse. 1 Timothy 6.11. Let's see if we go back. Go back to verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Let's say that again. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil... And some, by longing for it, by longing, you know that the Bible says that idolatry is as the sin of witchcraft. And it says that um, the love of money amounts to idolatry. So the issue is we're looking for a replacement for God. And many people just go directly to money because it's the easiest thing that we can use to replace God, we think. We're looking for a replacement for God. And so it says the love of money is the root. Why, why money? Because with money, we think we can solve our problems. 
With money, we think we can get what we want. With money, we think happiness is over there. I'm going to buy my ticket to get over there. Or happiness is, that, is having that thing. And with money, I'm going to buy that thing to have happiness. And so we're looking for a replacement for God. Because with money, we don't have to wait for God, we think. For money, we don't have to trust in God, we think. So we look for replacement for God in money. So it says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for a replacement for God, some by longing for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Next verse. But you flee these things. Flee anything that is coming between you and God. And pursue. Your life is to be a pursuit. You are to run after righteousness. God, righteousness is doing things God's way. Doing things right. In every situation, Lord, what is the right thing in this situation? And you seek it and you pursue it. Godliness, that you would be like God. You know you can do the right thing with the wrong heart? You could do the right thing, but say the wrong thing. You could do the right thing, say the right thing, with the wrong, and think the wrong thing. Godliness means you say what's right, you do what's right, And you think what's right. You feel what's right. And so godliness is God. Help me not to feel this way anymore. Help me not to feel anger. Help me not to feel jealousy. Help me not to feel pride. Help me not to act that way. Help me not to speak that way. But Lord, help me not to just be that way internally. That what I say and what I act and what I think would be what you say, act, and think. Lord, make me like you. That's what pursuing godliness is. Faith. <clears throat> Pursue a life. The Bible says we walk by faith and it makes the contrast. We walk by faith and not by sight. And that's crazy. That's like... That is not how we like to live in the natural. But pursue a life where you're saying, God, I know what I want. <clears throat> I know what I see. I know what I think. But what do you see, Lord? What do you want? Even if I don't see it, Lord, what do you want? Faith is saying, I'm going to live not by what I see, But I'm going to live by what God wants. Pursue a life where you're not living based on what you see. Pursue a life where you're living what God wants. Love. The Bible says God is love. And, and, and if you read 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see a great display of what it means to love Without condition. To put God above all else and to put others before yourself. 
pursue love. Lord, give me your love. You gave your son for sinners. You didn't give it for a friend. You didn't give one son to save your family. You gave your son for sinners, for people you didn't even know if they were going to hate you for it, if they were going to care. Lord, your love is beyond bounds. Give me that love. We're not there. I know we're not there. I know I'm talking way up here. But the Bible says, pursue that. When you wake up in the morning, I ask you, what are you pursuing? What drives you? Whatever your answer was, the Bible says, flee those things. Whatever you were pursuing, flee those things. And this is what you should pursue. God says, pursue. The Spirit of God through Paul tells you, pursue righteousness. This is what your life is about. Your life is about godliness. You're, you're to be led by faith and not by sight. You're to pursue love. You're to pursue perseverance. You get down, you get back up. You fall down, you get back up. You dust yourself off, and you get back up. And you keep on keeping on, persevering. It says, don't grow weary. If you endure, you're going to receive your prize. If you endure to the end. So your life, your pursuit is to be perseverance and gentleness. Which is a characteristic or a character attribute of God. A fruit of the Spirit of God. Somehow, we learn to be passionate. We learn to be zealous. We learn to live all out for God. And yet, we learn to be gentle. Because that's what God did for us. You think about the price that Jesus paid. You think about how radical Jesus was. You think about how he had to be not tough as nails, tougher than nails. He had to let the nails go through him. Jesus had to be tougher than nails, and yet he was gentle. Gentle as a dove, the Bible says. This is our pursuit. This is what we got to pray, God. Help me flee anything that's keeping me from you. Help me cast off every weight. Let me identify everything that's weighing me down. Let me identify everything that's slowing me down from running this race. And let me get rid of it. Let me identify it and make a decision and cast it off. Let's break it down. Write the vision. Make it plain. And run. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I pray now that every person that's in this room, every, everyone that's watching and listening on the internet, Lord, that your word would be 
good seed and good soil in their heart, that your word would land in their heart and give good fruit. We rebuke the devourer that comes to devour the word. We rebuke him in Jesus' name. We pray that your spirit would go with every person that has heard this word and that it would convict them of sin, of righteousness, of the truth of your word. Lord, that there would be a change, that we would leave here changed, Lord, different, focused, that we would run, have, that we would have clarity and run the race that you've placed before us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.